Well, good afternoon. My name is Deacon Dave, and I'm here. I'm going to try to do a good job here tonight. I'm always delighted when I get an opportunity to to do a sermon, and and uh, Sherry must have run short on alternates, so she called me, and uh, and here I am. But I must confess, I do get sometimes a little nervous. Uh, you know, I do. I, I try to prepare as well as I can, and I pray for the Spirit to be with me. Um, but I, you know, one time I did a sermon, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and and he said, "You know, Deacon Dave, that was the worst sermon I ever heard in my life." <laughs> and thank God there was a man right beside him, and he said, "Well, don't worry about him. He just repeats everything everybody else is saying." But seriously, I am indeed happy to be here. Big weekend. We've got the Austin Half Marathon. I think Matt Bryan, way up in the back, he's going to be running tomorrow. So am I. The difference between Matt and I. Big round of applause for Matt. Mercy for me. No, the, the, uh, the big difference between Matt and I is I said, Matt, what do you think? He said, well, I think uh, this will be my time, and he gave me a time, and he said, how about you? I said, just in front of the sanitation truck that's picking up the cones. <laughs> All right, so the sermon today is a good risk. And this is the week that we conclude our series on Upside Down, the parables of Jesus that changed the world. Last week, uh, Pastor Sherry uh, shared the thought of how we often compare and contrast ourselves with each other and, and, and others around us. We often do this to feel good about ourselves internally. You may remember we read the parable on the laborers in the vineyard. Remember that story that the the owner of the vineyard went out and hired some workers to work in the vineyard, some starting very early in the morning. And then he went out and found some more. He actually went out four times. And as he continued to look for workers and give them an opportunity to work, four different times he came in. And when it was at the end of the day, he gathered and went to pay them, and he paid those that started last their money first, and he gave them a denarii. And he continued in reverse order, if you will, and when the first workers, the ones that had started early in the morning came up, they were expecting and and thinking they were going to get more, but they got the same one denarii. And that didn't go over very well. It, in fact, turned that, that vineyard upside down, and their world was upside down. And Jesus responded to them, remember, I chose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Sherry challenged us also to question whether people see us as one body, or people who compare and contrast Or do people see us as loving people or merely a clique? So today we continue with another story, a story or parable that many of you have heard before. But I think with a little exploration, we can learn from it just as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. So our reading today is from Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. And just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is it written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of of the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So in preparing this message, it really did occur to me that here today, we often are as tribal and clan-like as Jesus' original audience over 2,000 years ago. And we tend to look out first for our immediate families and extended family next, and then close friends, those who are most like us or share our same tendencies and values. This could be as simple as those that serve the, and attend church at the 5 o'clock service, or perhaps the church that you go to or the neighborhood that you live in. Like the priest and the Levite in our passage, I believe we tend to overlook and even avoid those who are different than us. You're either Democrat or Republican. You're either with us or against us. You either agree, you're conservative, or you're progressive. Very clans-like. And so we're almost polarized. But my friends, God calls us to do more than this. He created all people in the image of God, and Christ died for all of us. Both God acts of creation and redemption. Creation and redemption alert us to the reality that the heart of a Christian, the heart of our faith, is that people, we believe that all people have inherent worth and dignity, and they deserve it, period. In the parable, the lawyer asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And I tend to think this is really just a polite way of asking, who's not my neighbor? See, he was trying to justify himself according to the law. More or less, he's saying, who does not deserve my love? Who does not deserve food and shelter? Who can I ignore and still be in light with God? Whom can I hate? Well, the answer is no one. Everyone deserves our love 
whether they are local or alien, Gentile or Jew, black or white. Period. Now, I believe most of you are aware that I'm appointed to serve beyond the, the walls of the church. I serve as a chaplain and pastor. The bishop appoints me to Seton Medical Center in Williamson, uh, 2.3 miles behind Ikea, if you need a point of reference. I'm privileged to work there. You know, it's a faith-based community and a medical community, and, and it's a nonprofit, and it incorporates in its mission, and this isn't a commercial for Seton, but it's in their mission, it's why I work there. One of the reasons is that they are rooted in the loving ministry of Jesus as healer, and we commit ourselves to serving all persons with special attention to those who are poor and vulnerable. Keyword vulnerable. Now, I assume most of us gathered here today have been to a hospital a time or two, and perhaps as a visiting a patient or perhaps as a patient yourself, you know that when you go to the hospital, the rooms are non-distinctive or institutional in nature and nowhere near as nice as the Four Seasons. And they're designed to accommodate, and they are no different for anyone. They are the same for everyone, regardless of status or class. In addition, we issue these wonderful gowns. <laughs> and they're rather colorful, but they must be cheap because they don't zip up in the back. <laughs> and we don't discriminate there either. <laughs> Everyone gets the same gown for all who stay with us. But seriously, I find as a chaplain, this is really an asset to my work. Because when I go into a room... I'm not swayed or biased by whom I'm visiting. I have a very narrow lens that I look through. It's the picture of a patient who is in need. And I am totally unaware of who I'm visiting beyond a name and a medical review number or what their station in life is. I've served patients from all walks of life and in effect been forced to treat them all the same. Now this is my approach and it supported me in my faith and belief that we are all sisters and brothers in Christ and created in God's image and I'm to treat everyone the same and as such, brothers and sisters. But I must tell you and be candid with you that though it's been my experience, there is a form of bias even amongst our staff that sometimes creeps in. For example, if a patient is hospitalized with drug or alcohol addiction, perhaps in the stages of detox, I'm often referred to go see that patient. And I sense it's a lack of compassion and more of a judgmental view by some of the team, some of the medical people, because they can see a direct line between why that person's there, how they got there, 
and the symptoms they're experiencing. If you smoke four packs of Luckies a day for 40 years and you get lung cancer, they can see probably a strong correlation. If you are in the throes of detoxification and shaking and vomiting, they can draw that correlation. Now, I've never seen it impede the medical care or their acute needs. I want you to understand that. But an intolerance, an attitude, or a sense of emotional distance is prevalent amongst the clinical staff. This emotional distance is in some cases recognized and leads them to refer to me, as I said, and ask me to get involved with them and care for them in their emotional and spiritual state. In my mind, it's a form of detachment, distance. Much like our parable where the Levite saw the man half dead in a ditch, distance, he went to the other side. Or the priest walked on the other side of the road, away from the man who was left for half dead. Now I think we spend a lot of energy in our lives towards intentional detachment, disengagement, disenfranchisement. If someone's going on vacation, you might hear him say, I'm going to unplug for a week. And sometimes we just want some space. And sometimes this this, 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 uh, this detachment is for good reasons. For our safety or self-preservation or self-care. I'm not going to drive to certain parts of the city. I'm not going to drive at 2 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve. Other times, however, I think this behavior is driven by a reluctance or refusal to change. We are who we are, and we don't want to change. And in general, I think it's a resistance to be intimate with people. Another sermon I'm going to do someday is about the lack of intimacy and texting, but that's another day. The rejection of some people in need may expose who we really are, frankly. Other times the behavior may be driven by fear. We all have fears. Maybe the nurse says, you know, I think I'm drinking a little bit too much. That might happen to me. Maybe that's a fear that's causing her to go see, have me go see that patient. Because they too might be a man lying in a ditch. But I believe one possible explanation for the behavior of the Levite and priest in our story today was they were fearful themselves. I think they might have thought to themselves, if I stop to help this man in the ditch, what will happen to me? What's different about how the Samaritan looked at this, though, is the Samaritan showed kindness, and it was simply due to his willingness to get engaged and come closer and nearer to the person, to approach him, to decrease that distance. See, the Samaritan didn't ask, what will happen to me? He said, if I don't go, what will happen to him? And that's what we are called to do. I think he thought the man in the ditch was a good risk. The man in the ditch is half dead according to the scripture, but it also means that he was half alive. The patient in the hospital room 
maybe half dead, but they are still alive. And as a Christian, I must show compassion for them and walk beside them like the Samaritan and give them every chance to heal. I believe that every one of those patients that I go to see may be a good risk. As we continue in the parable, the lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And we must ask that same question. Who is our neighbor? It means making a commitment to coming near. That's what it means to, to, to know who my neighbor is. Your neighbor's not the person or the family living next door where you may have never been invited or you never speak to. Your neighbor's not one who is convenient and easy to help. Your neighbor is not one that meets your standard for employment in your firm. No, a neighbor to me and a neighbor to us is one who is experiencing pain, struggles, challenges, and sorrow, and yet to whom we are willing to risk drawing closer to them and going to them. Your neighbor is one who clearly needs you, and you decide to help. Another point is that your neighbor may not want help. They may be reluctant to get your aid, but you do it anyway. Now, my wife's not here tonight. She always makes me say, don't be telling any more stories about the Corna family. But she's not here, so here we go. <laughs> a long time ago, I was in deep trouble with alcohol. And it had taken control of me and my world. And my world, like our title was, upside down. And I was at risk and perilously close to losing everything from my job to my family to my health. But I had an assistant on my staff in the company that I ran who was a recovering alcoholic. And he came to me in my broken state and he took me to my first AA meeting. And to 30 AA meetings, 30 consecutive days. Now, at first, I was amazed by his sincere willingness to help me. And then, I even began to suspect, or at the very least, was guarded by his offer of assistance. But ultimately, I accepted, and he assisted, and I recovered. I guess to him, Dave was a good risk. Now, this wouldn't have worked out if I was unwilling to receive his help. So being a neighbor involves both giving help and being willing to receive it, even by those who don't normally seem like us. Another thought for this week is to embrace not only who should we be helping, but who are those that could help you or help us if we merely gave them a chance to do so. We've all been the traveler on the road, left for dead. But once we've been the recipient of radical grace, the radical grace of 30 days meetings in 30 days, the radical grace from those neighbors, it's hard to look at anything or anyone else quite the same.
I believe this story also flows into what we are as United Methodists and as Wesleyans. As we look at what Wesley gave us with the general rules. The rules are organized into three basic categories. Do no harm. Avoid evil of all kinds. Do good of every possible sort as far as possible to all. Practice the ordinances of God or engage in individual and communal spiritual practices such as prayer, Bible reading, worship, and the Lord's Supper. That's who we say we are as Methodists and with our general rules. That's what we say we are as Christians. Very simple. Do no harm, do good, and stay close to God. Another thing they teach you if you're Methodist is we always look at Wesley's sermons. And Wesley has a great sermon that most people look at on Catholic spirit. What is Catholic spirit? It fits right into this story. Wesley says and expresses understanding of a person of Catholic spirit. His heart is enlarged towards all mankind, those he knows and those he does not. He embraces with strong and cordial affection neighbors and strangers, friends and enemies. This is Catholic or universal love. And he that has this is of Catholic spirit. For love alone gives the title to this character. Catholic love is a Catholic spirit. And that's, that's who we are, people. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to live. Another central tenet of our Methodist faith is that we are to make disciples. The, the greatest commandment, the great commissioning that Jesus gave us to create disciples. And we do that as a Methodist church, and we do it in many ways. So I want to just show you an example here. that's who we are as Christians. I think that's what it means for us to be here at Bethany United Methodist Church and a part of the Methodist Church. My brother Paul mentioned today that, that you know, we do have this general conference next week in St. Louis where over 864 people will be coming from three continents or four continents because the Methodist Church has that long reach 
And we're going to talk about an issue or issues that have been talked about for many years in our church. Pastor Tom and Ashlyn are going as delegates from our conference, not from our church, from our conference. They were elected from our conference to go. I know that you know that. They'll be of the 864, they will be there. It starts a week from today on Saturday with a day of prayer. And then they get into the whole multi-language, almost like the United Nations, process of trying to decide what's going to happen with the Methodist Church. But let us keep close to our hearts what it means to be a Christian. Let us keep close to our hearts what it is to be a neighbor. And let us keep close to our hearts what it means to be here as a congregation of loving Christians. I talked with Pastor Tom this week. He says, just pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us. Because I don't know what's going to come of it. But I know that we'll still be there. We'll still be Christians. We'll still be neighbors. And we'll do that. But I wanted to say a prayer for them if we could, so please join me in prayer. God of peace and wisdom, from this time forward, we may walk with you and may we walk with you in trust and peace and with our brothers and sisters in love and unity you desire. May we truly sing together those at that conference in harmony, a song of praise that draws all to you. Even now, may you bless those who will attend the special call conference, assuring them of your love, filling them with your wisdom, preparing them with your peace. May they and we become more sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit so that all we do will please you and bring you glory. Amen.